Hello, everyone. My name is Katherine Barron. I'm a longtime education reporter and host of The Score, a podcast about academic integrity and cheating. We explore the landscape of cheating in school and delve into the key issues at play in this multifaceted issue challenging academia today. In each episode, we speak with faculty, scholars, or students and ask them to provide insights into what's happening in college and university classrooms and why. How big a problem is it? Who cheats? As well as what policies, regulations, prevention efforts, and changes in teaching and assessment show promise in curbing cheating. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast the score, that's one word, or stop by our website to download show notes and see our lineup of guests and release dates. Again, that's podcastthescore.com. The score has focused many episodes on cheating in higher education. In this episode, we're expanding the purview to the integrity of industry certification exams. To discuss this, our guest is Pete Van Dyke, the Certification Security Program Manager at Amazon Web Services, the office responsible for minimizing cheating among people taking professional certification exams. He's been working in test security for about 15 years. Before that, he was in law enforcement in Chicago. Pete Van Dyke, welcome to The Score. Thank you, Catherine. I'm very happy to be here. I want to start out just kind of understanding what it is that you do. Your work sounds like it's very technical, a process for rooting out you know, bad behavior on these professional certification exams. So would you describe what you and your office do? We divide our time among three different uh, activities. One is looking at people that steal our exam content and post that online or charge money for that online. Those are known as brain dump websites. You'll probably hear me talk about that a couple more times today. The second thing that we do is we look at what are known as proxy testers. So individuals or organizations that take exams for candidates, charge them a fee for that, and then through remote control of the computer screens, take an exam for them. And then the third thing that our team works on are individuals who misbehave during their exams. So whether that's accessing a a cell phone or hidden notes or having a third party present, people that misbehave on exams, we don't like to use the cheat word. So you probably won't hear me say the C word during our, uh, our interview today. But those that break the test day rules are the third group of people that we work with very frequently. So why not cheaters or cheating? Well, what we prefer to do with our exams when we evaluate if there is anomalous behavior is we state that based on the behavior and based on the evidence, we cannot validate that your certification exam score is correct. So in some cases, those people will be asked to retake an exam. In some cases, they would have to pay full price in order to take it again. And in some cases, if the behavior is that severe, they could be banned from the program. Well, I want to get back to what you were just discussing, but let's move on first because that, that'll fit in a little bit better later on. I'm wondering how extensive are these certification programs? You know, how many people take them and, and what subjects do they cover? Well, the certification exams that, that we have are IT certifications. So a lot of the heavy hitters within IT have certification programs. Microsoft is an example, Oracle, Google, Amazon, Dell, HP, 
a lot of uh, a lot of companies have certification exams, and the purpose of a certification exam is to validate someone's knowledge, expertise, and work experience in a particular field. So for AWS exams, all of our exams are focused on cloud-based computing services, and the idea being that if someone is able to pass a certification exam, which has been developed by experts in the field, then that certifies that they have a level of expertise and a level of ability. That's used in a couple different ways uh, for companies that do a lot of government programs, as an example. They may have a requirement with a government program that say 25 or 50 percent of their support personnel have certifications to verify their skills and abilities. It's also used a lot by recruiters for companies that are looking to hire someone. It's a great way to measure above and beyond just a college degree that they have in a, in a formal setting. They've verified and proven their skill levels and their abilities. So it's a, it's a big business. Our, our program, we have over 1 million people that currently hold AWS certifications. Some of the other large programs like Google and Microsoft are similar in size. So what type of exams are these? Are they different levels of certification based on who's hiring and what they're looking for? Yes, we have three different levels. We have a foundational level exam, which is kind of an introduction to cloud computing. That is our cloud practitioner exam. We have associate level exams, which are for targeted towards people that have been working in the field for one to two years. And then we have specialty and professional level exams, which are more detailed. One of the examples is our security specialty exam. So that would be geared towards somebody that is responsible for securing data both at the company level and within the cloud, and someone that has been doing that kind of work for at least a couple of years. You were talking about what the exams are used for. What I'm wondering is when a company is hiring someone, hasn't that person gone to school or gone through a program and, and has sort of has a resume that says, this is what I'm capable of doing? Well, not necessarily. There's been a big shift, even even at Amazon, the college requirement in most job postings has actually been dropped. So there's more of a focus now with the understanding that there are a lot of people with fantastic experience out there that don't necessarily have a college degree that would reflect that. As far as specific skills go, it's possible to complete a four-year IT or computer science degree and not have a clue as to how to actually use some of these programs. In the United States in particular, there's still a, a heavy reliability on what degree a candidate may have or may hold. But in other countries, particularly in, in the India area, a certification is more of a door opener than a college degree or a four-year degree might be because that demonstrates that a person can actually do the job. How does this security process work? So if I'm taking one of these exams, what can I expect before I'm cleared to actually begin the test? Well, we present our exams in two different formats. One is at an in-person test center. So we have literally thousands of in-person test centers all across the globe. If you were to take an in-person exam, you would schedule that. You would go in and there's a live proctor who would observe you as you take your exam. But once COVID hit, the second modality for us, which is online proctored exams, became very popular. And an online proctor exam, you don't have to go to a test center. You can take that right in the, in the confines of your own home. 
and you don't have to interact with people live. What happens for online proctoring is that there is a online proctor located somewhere else in the world who is observing up to 16 or 18 people taking an exam at one time and they make sure that they're not they're not misbehaving. So if you were to take an online proctored exam, there's an entire formal check-in process. So we verify that the government issue ID is the same person as the person taking the test. You don't want someone who looks like me taking the test under the name of someone who looks like you, Catherine. There's a very detailed room scan by video to make sure that there aren't any learning materials, that there aren't any secondary computers or electronic devices, any note-taking materials, pens, paper, etc. in the area. And then there's also a systems check, so the uh, test delivery provider looks at that and sees what kind of programs are running in the background to make sure that there's nothing that would allow a candidate to record the testing experience and then steal content from the actual exam. So you would go through all of that and then the exam would be launched and then you would be observed by a proctor at a remote location somewhere else in the world. So what have people done to try to trick the security measures? Are, are there any you know anecdotes that, that stand out for you? It's really limited only by creativity. So for online proctored exams, because you don't have a human being in the same room, people attempt to cheat that system in lots of different ways. They may try to record record the session, either audio record or video record. They may surreptitiously have notes and access notes during the exam. It's not unusual for someone to, uh, to try and have a third person, a third party individual in the room with them to help with the exam and indicate which questions have which answers. And we've, we've seen evidence in the past of people using things like uh, recording devices built into eyeglass frames or even using earbud type communicators so that someone can communicate with them what the correct answer is for items. Perhaps one of the one of the more interesting things that we've had when someone takes an exam with a proxy tester, the proxy tester loads software on their machine that allows them to remote control, take control of the desktop as they're using it. So during that hour or hour and a half that they're taking the exam, the candidate pretends to be taking the exam while someone thousands of miles away is actually taking the exam for them. One of the one of the funnier instances that we've had of uh, of exam misbehavior, we had a candidate that actually fell asleep during his exam. Uh, his head was leaned over and he was snoring very loudly for about a 10 to 15 minute period, yet his exam continued to move forward because the, uh, the exam proxy tester didn't realize that the candidate was sleeping and he was just moving forward as, as had been planned. So that was one of, the, one of the more interesting ones that we've had. Seems like an easy one to catch, but, but what are some of the less obvious red flags that the proctor will look for? There are a number of violations. So uh, looking off screen or looking beyond the testing area. So if, uh, if you imagine if, if you wanted to bring crib sheets into your online proctored exam, you would obviously place that outside of the webcam view. So when you take this exam, you can see, you can see the webcam capture as it's, as it's running to make sure that your face is completely visible and your shoulders are visible. But if you were to place that just slightly outside, if you continuously looked, say, down to, down into the right or down into the left, that would be an indicator that there might be something there that that candidate is using to cheat on the exam. Leaning partially off screen would be the same uh, the same type of violation or exiting the exam completely. We don't allow for breaks on our exam, even uh, even bathroom breaks. 
So obviously getting up and leaving for a minute or two and then coming back is a sign that there's at least the very strong possibility that uh, the candidate was accessing information that they weren't allowed to have during the exam. Well, what happens if there's a question by the proctor of you know whether whether the test taker has been misbehaving? What it, what is the process? Well, for a lot of the behaviors, they get one or two warnings for our program that'll say, okay, you were observed doing this. This is against the test taking rules. Please don't do this again. On the uh, third violation for that, then the exam is ended and it's forwarded to our team. The security team then reviews uh, details of the exam itself, proctor notes, etc. And in some cases, we'll actually look at the video from the exam and determine whether or not the exam will be validated, invalidated, or in some cases, if the candidate really misbehaved, if they might be banned from the program for one year, three years, or even indefinitely. Which would mean they're not going to get a job in that field at all. That's right. right? That's right. Well, or, or in some <laughs> cases, we've, we've seen they may not be able to keep their current job if they're not able to remain certified. It's really a silly risk for people to take. How does the warning appear? Does the proctor say something or is it a scroll across the page? Or? Well, different test providers do it in different ways. And the test provider that we use, there is a pop-up window that specifies specifically, this is what you were observed doing. This is a violation. You know, this is a warning. If you repeat this behavior, then this will result in your exam being ended. And has that changed behavior during tests? Have they noticed that? Sometimes. It depends on how motivated someone is to misbehave. So if, I, if, if, I'm really, if I'm really interested in accessing notes or a hidden cell phone, a pop-up window that says you've, you've been observed leaning partially off screen is probably not going to deter me much. Have security measures increased in recent years due to an increase in the products that enable cheating and the increase in online exams due to COVID? Well, the, the big factor that has caused changes in the cheating industry, if you will, was COVID. So about three years ago, prior to the COVID pandemic, about 90% of our test takers chose to take their exams in an in-person test center. We had uh, about 10% that elected to take online proctoring. And the benefits for online proctoring are, are pretty clear. You don't have to send someone 25 or 50 miles away. You don't have to pay them for half a day for testing. You don't have the, you don't have the convenience of being able to just take it right in your, your home or your office. But once the pandemic started to hit, a lot of these in-person test centers had to close for obvious reasons. Uh, you don't want a number of people in an enclosed space when you've got uh, the COVID virus running rampant. So as the pandemic continued about a year and a half, two years into it, we saw about 85 to 90 percent of our exams being taken via online proctoring and only 10 percent being taken in, in test centers. So that created a whole new a whole new environment for us. Obviously, if you don't have someone standing in front of you, it's easier to misbehave. It's easier to try and hide things and it's, it's easier to have a, a another person in the room that's hidden from camera view. So we had to adapt to all of that. And the proxy testers are very, very sophisticated. They're always a step ahead of us. Once we figure out how they're doing something, they find another way to do that, to try and minimize our detection efforts and to thwart our, our attempts to shut them down. Well, how organized are they, the proxy and all the other companies? You know, is, it, is it difficult to find them and maybe put them out of business or anything like that? 
Well, the challenge for us, we're a, we're a U.S.-based company, and a lot of the brain dump websites and a lot of the proxy testing organizations operate in countries outside of the United States. So it, it, it then becomes very, very lengthy, very expensive, and very difficult to pursue any type of legal action against these individuals in countries that may not may not even support that type of a lawsuit. So it's very challenging. The Proxy tester networks themselves work a lot like a multi-level marketing campaign. They advertise all over the web. So if, uh, if you're on Facebook and a Facebook group about certification exams, it's not unusual to see multiple posts a day with people offering to take exams for you. We've seen this on LinkedIn. We've, uh, we've seen it all over the place, even on Etsy, believe it or not, and, uh, <laughs> and eBay. You have one level of their organization that is recruiting potential customers. You have another level that works with them and negotiates pricing and details. And then you have a very sophisticated technical side of their organization that actually makes the proxy test happen by taking over candidate's computer screen and taking an exam for them. Industry-wide, we estimate that this is a multi-hundred million dollar a year business. It's not unusual for a proxy tester to charge as much as $1,200 above and beyond the cost of an exam for someone to have an exam taken for them. You were talking about stealing the test questions earlier. And how do people do that? I mean, is it that the people who are the proxies they can take a screenshot of things because they're not quite on the exam, you know, legitimately, or how would that work? Historically, prior to COVID and prior to the explosion of online proctored exams, there were really two ways that brain dump websites harvested exam content. One was to literally snag candidates that just finished taking an exam and say, what do you remember from the exam? What are the questions that you remembered? Another way was to work with a test center that was in cahoots with the proxy testing. So the test center would allow someone to take photographs or to record a session where they took an exam and then sell that content to a, a brain dump website that would then publish it or sell it to others for a, for a fee. You said that's how it used to be. Has that changed? Has that become more sophisticated too? We're not exactly sure how, how that content comes about. As an example, it's uh, some of the brain dump websites that claim to have our content may not actually have our content. Our exams are 65 questions long, and some of these brain dump sites claim to have 900 actual exam questions, which, uh, which should be a, a red flag for anybody that's looking at those anyway. So there are some that are, uh, that are recording online proctored exams, and there are some, we're sure, that are, are working with exam sites as well as, uh, as, well as others that may have a, uh, an organized approach to, okay, I want you to remember the first 10 questions that you see, and I want you to remember the next 10 questions, and then interviewing people that, that have completed the exam for a fee. What are some of the potential consequences to us, to you know, the, the people who use different services in terms of our safety or the legitimacy of something that a person who cheated on an exam to get a job is responsible for? Well, that's a great question. We've, we've seen evidence. If let's, let's imagine you come to me, I'm a proxy tester, and you want me to pass a, uh, a Google 
certification exam for you. I charge you $500 plus the $300 it costs to take the test. I make arrangements. And the first step of that is you have to give me control of your computer. I load software that surreptitiously allows me to control your machine during the exam. I can, through that process, I can, I can load anything I want. It's possible to load malware or spyware, all sorts of tracking information. So it's, uh, within the industry, we've, we've seen evidence of this happening, of people that uh, thought they were just going to find a way around taking a certification exam that end up having banking information and personal information like social security numbers and all of that stripped from their machines, et cetera. And, and then if that were to happen to you who, do you, who do you report that to and who do you complain about? You know, oh, well, yes, I was cheating on this exam and I worked with this person who was from some country thousands of miles away and I gave him complete access to my machine so that he could pass an exam for me. But in the process, he also stole some of my banking information. I, you know, that's... I, I don't see I don't see that part of the process happening very frequently. What would be the potential impact in terms of maybe public safety, that type of thing? In the IT field, it's not it's not quite the risk, but we also see these types of behaviors and people finding ways around taking the exam for things like nursing and doctor certification. So if you, if you were to imagine someone going through a two-year or a four-year nursing program, they get to the point where they're going to take a certification exam that certifies them as a nurse. And rather than demonstrating fairly that they have the knowledge and expertise necessary to be certified, they pay somebody else to take their exam. That's, that's pretty frightening to, uh, to imagine that because now that person can go ahead and get hired and, you know, the, the areas that they were weakest on may be the ones that, that someone's life depends on down the line. What about in the sector that you test for? There are, there are many areas of the world, many regions of, uh, of the globe where a certification itself is enough to get a job. And if someone is able to, able to, to land a job because of a, uh, of a false certification, whatever it is that they work on could, could be affected. If it's some massive database that's responsible for a company's web-based retail side, that, that might be an example where, uh, where someone who wasn't truly qualified could do a lot of damage to a, a website. Or if it was a government entity that hires somebody because they're certified and it turns out that they're wholly unqualified for the job, you know, everything from national security to correspondence with citizens, any of those things could be affected. What confounds me, though, are the great lengths and expense that people go through. That kind of money, that kind of planning that goes into it, it just seems, you know, why not just study? <laughs> I right. don't know. Right, like, do you have thoughts on why that is? It's a, it's a guarantee. So as an example, some, uh, some regions of India, having a, uh, a solutions architect associate certification from AWS is enough to, uh, to earn, a, earn a job, that, that could be a, a very lucrative position. So someone looking at it and saying, okay, I've, I've, gone to, I've gone to university, I've gone to college for this, I want to be in this field, I think that's a reasonable investment to make sure that I get my foot in the door and I can get my career launched. So they've been to college for it, but they don't trust themselves to pass the certification exam. That's just, something's wrong there. <laughs> Something's wrong. Are, are they people who probably misbehave in college too? 
there's plenty in the news about uh, about academia and higher education and cheating, uh, particularly related to generative AI and Chat GPT. The proxy testing phenomenon is not uh, is not strictly for IT certifications. You see uh, you see that in in higher education as well. Anytime there's a anytime there's an online exam, whether it's proctored or not, there's always that risk. What is it that keeps you in this job that you find most interesting about it? I, I've had almost 15 years in certification exam development and certification exam security. It takes about nine to 12 months to fully develop a brand new certification exam. Uh, hundreds of people are involved. There are subject matter experts at all different levels that are responsible for determining what that certification exam should look like, what kind of questions should be contained, that evaluate each and every one of those questions to make sure that they're fair, that they're valid, and they're legally defensible. So tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours are put into these exams, and then we discover that people are stealing this content sometimes just a few weeks after it's been published. Uh, so having, having been the one that's doing the work to develop these exams and to know how heartbreaking it can be when someone cheats the system or steals the content, that's been very, that's been very rewarding to me as my career in certification security has continued along, being able, to, being able to make that more difficult for the people that do this or at least make it more expensive and more troubling for them, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that brings a smile to my face and keeps me going. It seems like a very natural outgrowth of your earlier career in law enforcement. Absolutely. What do you think is next or what are you working on now on your team to the next big method of trying to game the system? We're incorporating some elements of machine learning and artificial intelligence in our analysis of exams. We use data forensics to examine each and every exam score that comes in. We look for things like score similarity, anomalous performance in an exam. So uh, as an example, if, uh, if an exam on average takes someone an hour and 20 minutes to complete, and we have a specific candidate that comes in and completes it in 18 minutes. That throws a red flag for us and says, "Hey, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to look at this. Uh, they may have, they may have either had a proxy testing for them, or they may have had unauthorized access to exam content prior to the exam itself." So as uh, as they get more sophisticated, we get more sophisticated, and there are more ways to look at look at these anomalous behaviors to to look at the totality of the circumstances related to the exam and find, uh, find hints in lots of different areas that something may not be right. Well, Pete Van Dyke, thank you so much for describing this process and how extensive it is and, and its impact, why it matters to us. Pete Van Dyke is the Certification Security Program Manager at Amazon Web Services. I'm Catherine Barron. You've been listening to The Score. The score is produced by the Academic Integrity and Research Group at Pando Public Relations. It is underwritten by Measure Learning and technical support is provided by This Is Distorted. To ask questions, to download show notes, or to learn more about The Score, visit our website at podcastthescore.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at podcastthescore, or find us on all the podcast platforms as The Score.